You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome in. Welcome. Pull up a chair or, you know, sit Indian style, you know, and check out the pod. Welcome. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. This is the X-Man podcast. What a week. It's been a, I mean, I could say a rough week. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, uh yeah, yeah, it's been a rough week. Uh, one that has been, I would say, characterized by loss. Uh, for someone I did know and someone I, I didn't know, but I think we all have uh, some connection to. So a musician, friend, um, just all around special person, a guy named Augustus Krins. Everyone called him Gus. He was a producer, songwriter, guitar, bass player, drum. I mean, the guy could kind of do everything. And he passed away this past week. And it's really rocked the local LA rock and metal scene. Everyone loved Gus and you know, I'm not going to definitely put his shit on front street, but he definitely went way too soon. And it kind of just like cratered my whole week last week. And I think a lot of people, we were just living our lives and all of a sudden everything kind of came to a, a standstill, you know, and it just, uh, fucks up your equilibrium, you know? And listen, big part of me asks like, would this be happening if we weren't going through what we're going through? I don't know, but definitely going to miss Gus. Uh, he, he was one of these guys. You just, he was, he just stood out and his energy was infectious and he was so talented. Uh, John and I, John actually, John from bad wolves worked on a couple songs with him. And the only time I ever got to work with him was literally me and John were hanging out of studio, you know, having a, having a couple claws <laughs> And uh, we we wrote this like electronic song at like four in the morning, and it was it's actually pretty fucking good. Maybe I'll maybe I'll play it at some point, you know. And it's a kind of demo like stature, but we did it like in a few hours. And, and Gus was kind of a it was cool. It's first time I ever got to work with him, but you know, it's just it's really screwed me up. And then and I and so, so some of my friends were so close with them. You know, I wasn't super close with them, but you know. You know, it's it's just hit us all, and um, and then uh, Supreme Court Judge, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away this week. You know, and for and for a lot of people, we were just like, hold on for a few more months, and you know, which is obviously very self centered to a certain degree, and 
we're not putting the focus on on her health and well-being for for her own sake but she was 87 years old and and after she passed away I, i watched the documentary about her which is on amazon i believe and it was amazing she was an amazing person she really was. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, I think a lot of it, you get wrapped up in the symbolism or the the character or the branding of kind of these these figures. And and listen, I guess, you know, all documentaries and books, you kind of take them with a grain of salt and they're there to kind of tell a point. But I didn't know a lot of the history of the kind of casework she did as a lawyer and how groundbreaking she was and how the work she did really changed the lives for for women and a lot of the stuff I just I just didn't know. You know, you hear about the legend of, of someone or especially in these kind of polarized times where people become kind of figureheads and heroes of their particular segment. You know, you're a Reaganite or you're a Kennedy liberal, whatever. And and I would hope many of her accomplishments would hopefully be viewed as as progress for us all and not kind of segmented into a hero of a particular blue or red supporter, you know, and I think she really wasn't. It seemed to have, she, she seemed to have respect. Even if people disagree with her, she seemed to have respect across the board. And the thing I love about her personality the most was she was so, you know, self-described as like being sober, sober in her mentality in terms of she was just a serious person who loved to work and she just worked and worked. And even when she's, 85 years old, she'd be working till like four in the morning, you know, and uh, especially after her her husband passed away. And it's kind of how I, it's like the idealized version of what I think about or what I hope public servants actually are like, you know, these kind of wonky nerds who just invest everything of who they are into, into the public good and public trust. And like I said, maybe there's a little skew there for narrative's sake, but it it was really inspirational. And and I you know, and I think we lost a true giant uh, despite of her uh, diminutive stature. Every you know, which which shows so much about what's beautiful about humankind is that you can be the smallest person around and still project so much power with just the strength of your intellect and force of will and hard work. So I went and got my notorious RBG shirt. And it's like I said, it's sad. Oftentimes we don't appreciate a lot of people until they're gone. But I think people really did recognize uh, what she represented, represented uh, even while she was alive. So rest in peace, RBG. Rest in peace, Gus Krins. Uh It's been a rough week, but you know, I could go down a whole lot of rabbit holes right now. But I, I you know, I think it's it's best just to you know put a, put the focus on 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 those individuals. And not make it about anything else because it's it's rough out there, and the ensuing court, Supreme Court battle is coming now. It's going to be terrible. Anyway, we do have a show sponsor this week. Check this out. Hey guys, my name's Scott Bowling. I have a YouTube show called Good Company with Bowling. What's up? This is Clint Lowry from Seven Dust. Hey, what's up? This is Sonny Mayo. Hey, Ricky Rackman. And you're watching Good Company with Scott Bowling. I've interviewed bands like Limp Bizkit, Fozzie, Seven Dust, Corn. I've had Chris Farley's brother, Tom Farley, on the show. My show is kind of like a modern day Wayne's World. Party! If you love a good interview, a good rock interview, or just any kind of interview, please, if you get a chance, check out my show, Good Company with both. 
say, I should steal his shit, you know, like instead of the X Men, you know, music guy. Now it's kind of like, Doc Coyle is the man and he's cool now. Yeah. You know? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> I love that though. You know, everyone wants a theme song with their with their name on it. But anyway, please check out Scott's show. And remember, it's Scott with two T's, Scott Bowling. I wonder if he is a good bowler, but he's a really cool guy. The show is awesome, really well produced, has all the kinds of guests I think you guys would like if you enjoy this show. And I think that's why he probably thought it would be a good idea to let you know about it. So please go over to YouTube, check out Good Company with Scott Bowling. And thank you to him for sponsoring the show. We also have another sponsor. It's a band from Texas. They're called Periwinkle Massacre. What a name. We're going to play a track entitled Sorcerer. Check it out.
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. So there you have it. That was The Periwinkle Massacre with their track, Sorcerer. And I thought that was pretty damn great. I really enjoyed that. So they're actually from Corpus Christi. Sorry, I wasn't specific before and they've been around for a while they actually was checking out they have some records going back to 2008 2011 and i don't know if they've been on hiatus or if they've just been uh taking their time but anyway so that that's a brand new song and i think it's i think it's great the band is it sounds great it has it's like you know it it, it feels familiar but i feel like they're they're taking to some different places and yeah if you want to check out the band and support them Facebook.com backslash the Periwinkle Massacre or ReverbNation.com backslash the Periwinkle Massacre. And Periwinkle, I had to look this up. I was like, I'm like, what the motherfucker? What the fuck is a periwinkle? And it's like a flower, it's a color, you know, it's a kind of a soft sound word, but for a hard band, I don't know. But that's all right. That's all right. They're, you know, they're keeping you on your toes, but it's P E R I W I N K L E. That's right. So please support them. I think they have a new t-shirt for sale on, on their web store. Go buy that up on storefrontier.com. And yeah, support them. If you would like to sponsor the show, please send me a DM or send me an email at the Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX. I have some great shows coming up, so spots are limited. So if you want to sponsor a show, get on it quickly or you will lose your spot hit me up i'm telling you guys i got some big shows coming up hit me up okay we have a guest this week who needs i'm, I'm saying literally needs no introduction it's jesse leach he's the singer from kill switch engage he has been in bands like seamless times of grace he's currently in a band called the weapon uh and he's someone that i've been close with for a very long time and you know in a, in a weird way it's like He's one of the guests where it's like, well, why isn't he be on the show sooner? And and I agree with you. And we kind of we 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 address that, you know. And I think it just, you know, he's kind of out there. He's you know he's not he's very vocal person. So I kind of just wanted to find the the right time. And he's someone I I always wanted to have, but I just wanted to have him at the correct time, you know. And I, I love Jesse so much. I think his talent. I mean, you don't need me to say anything. It's so obvious. Uh, 
but and he's you know he's been on a fair amount of podcasts but i knew that the conversation i would have with jesse would really it'd be the only version of it that we could have and so it was a real treat and blessing for him to take his time to appear on the show and i think you guys are going to love it so this is what this show is about connecting with the people that i've kind of been all the way to the humble beginnings to these 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 great heights that that Jesse's been to and some of the great fortune I've had lately. So anyway, despite needing your introduction, I, I I certainly did my best. Anyway, please check out this awesome conversation with my one of my oldest buddies out there and great guy, Mr. Jesse Leach. You know, when I, you know, when I do the show, you know, I try and absorb the catalog of whomever I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with. And oh God. dude, you, well, it's funny. You kind of, you, I like, I had Peter Dolving from the haunted on the show, you know, about oh, a month ago. Aunt. Yeah. And like you, it's like the dude's done so many things. Like he never, it's never like, Oh, I, that's right. I took this five year kind of sabbatical. It's like, no, he was always making something. You're kind of like that where I'm just trying to absorb everything. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, you've made a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I kind of can't help it, man. I'm, I'm a little restless. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's impressive because you know, none of it sucks, which is good. <laughs> Very generous of you, my friend. <laughs> well, dude, well, some of the some of the stuff I never heard, like you know, Corinne, which I don't know which album was that. Uh, it's only one record, yeah. Oh, we only did, that's like a compilation of all of our seven inches. Oh, okay, okay, because I was because you couldn't I couldn't find it on Spotify, and then yeah, no, it's not it's on YouTube. Really it was yeah. on YouTube, uh, but it doesn't say on YouTube. It doesn't say the, the title of the record. But I was I was listening to that, and it's it's so funny, just you know that scene right like where we all kind of kind of came from just yeah. has this kind of similar aesthetic of you know just i don't know like uh do, do you remember this band for the love of the like new jersey band yeah, oh yeah. Yep. um like it it didn't not that you guys uh corinne sounded like for the love of but it was just like we were all swimming in the same sauce to a certain to a oh certain- yeah i mean we are we are a huge like integrity fans we are huge bloodlet fans my guitar player was super into like Morbid Angel, so it's a mixture of like death metal and hardcore, and I yeah. think that's kind of what was going on back then. It was that mixture of like hardcore dudes who love metal and metal dudes who were getting into hardcore. It was just a beautiful mix at that time, for sure. I, I love, I love you, and I feel like early God forbid was the epitome of that. You guys really <laughs> nailed that style on the early stuff, man. It was just well, we were we were tourists. We were like metal dudes who kind of discovered the hardcore scene and were in a sense kind of wooed into this whole other world where our you know our framework was metallica and pantera and machine head and then all you know and at the gates and carcass and all of a sudden we kind of discovered this whole thing was like oh wait you can do that what is it you could have a song that you know when you hear like dillinger skate plan or coalesce or botch and you're like or candiria and you're like i didn't know you know, it, it kind of opened things up to say, oh, there are, are less rules than you even imagined. <laughs> yeah, no. And that was the beauty of that time. I love that. Yeah, there weren't many rules. And I kind of miss that about heavy music. I feel like a lot has been done and a lot has been sort of uh, explored. 
and a lot of modern heavy music for me just it's it's okay nothing's really slapped me in the face you know yeah and back then it was just you never knew what you're gonna get yeah we kind of still had all the same sort of sort of like a similar um route for what we did but uh, it was diverse man it was, i mean uh, another band that really got me back then was a band called human remains that turned oh, into yeah. burnt by the sun those dudes were on some next level shit too man I-, I loved all the hybrid music back then so uh god forbid on our album reject the sickness we have all these parts actually even on determination where we do like these whammy bar like kind of stuff that is part of the songs and we totally yeah. stole that from human remains like that so good yeah dude with the volume like the tapping and the vo- those dudes were like on some other whole other level yeah yeah it so was good it was yeah and it, it's so it, it's so amazing because they recorded that you know at at tracks east with steve evitz and it's like that was literally the studio where you know we ended up recording you know a bunch of records um at tracks east and it was literally down the street from our house yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's kind of weird just how the you know did, did you ever read uh, the Outliers by uh, Malcolm no. Gladwell? Well, it's like no, a, I know uh, who you're talking about though. Yeah, it's well, it's it's like an examination of success, and he essentially puts it in you know his theories that on half of it is just working really hard, like the the ten thousand hour rule of just putting in time yeah. and developing yeah. expertise. Yeah, with that. But the other half of it is literal just. You happen to be born at this right time and lived in the right place. Like they talk about uh, Bill uh, Bill Gates, that he happened to just live in this one town that happened to have a computer in a time when no one had computers. So he got yeah. all this programming, uh, you know, experience under his belt, and he got ahead of the curve. And he just, but if, like if he wasn't born at that exact time and lived in that exact town, that never would have happened. You know, so it's not just like. He's the remote genius, you know, and so I think about that, you know, you know, when you look at what was going on in New Jersey, what was going on in New England, Massachusetts, there's a reason why there was an explosion of talent, you know, for for that scene. So you're Matt, you're a Massachusetts guy, right? No, I actually never lived in Massachusetts. Really? Okay. Um, More of a Rhode Island guy. That's kind of I just was in bands that were located in Massachusetts. But I was always car. I was always traveling two hours to band practice. You know, I was always the guy that would drive forever to get to band practice. Now, Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island is kind of my my stomp. Is there anything distinct about Rhode Island? Island, or is that like the Delaware of New England? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things, man. I think you know, strictly musically speaking, we had a very artistic scene because of um, Rhode Island School designed the art college. Had a lot of art students that would stay there. Um, and I was more steeped in in more of like grindcore and power violence. Drop Dead was kind of our champions from back then. Uh, you had like a real f- a flourishing scene in the in the Onlyville area, which was a lot of squat punks, a lot of gutter punks. So we had a lot of the the crazy anarchists kind of stuff going on. There's a band called Lightning Bolt from that area from that era rather. That was a two piece, very artistic, crazy spastic hardcore i don't even know what you call it there was a lot of like crazy stuff going on back then but i i was drawn to hardcore when i was young like you know i initially how was drawn into the earth crisis and the integrity and the strife and those type of bands but as i grew and my taste changed i got more into the sort of the the artistic scene and and the grindcore scene and bands that were coming from 
other countries and playing and just Providence at that time just was a plethora of strange music. I remember there's a band called Gravity Engine from the area that reminded me of like Faith No More, but a little more abrasive. So I was getting all different kinds of influences, like different genres. It wasn't just hardcore and metal. It was art rock. It was indie rock. It was folk rock. It was just tons of stuff going on at the time. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a bit of an enigma because when I, I, I listen to everything you've done and, you know, I know you personally and you're, you're a pretty out, outspoken person about just, you know, your spirituality and kind of social issues and when I, you're enigmatic in that, in, sometimes I listen to you and I'm like, that dude's just, he's a fucking rock and roll singer. That's what he is. He's a rock and roll singer. And then, I, and then I'm like, but then your ethic is like through and through, you're kind of like a punk rock guy. But then, you like I said, you have this kind of artistic, kind of higher minded way you kind of view things. And, and, I don't, and so clearly the human beings should not be monolithic or uh kind of based on 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 one thing but do you do you have any kind of version of yourself that you think is who you are or is it this kind of smorgasbord of just you know i'm gonna be like it's like you know how you wear your your vest with all the patches it's like that's kind of how you are it's like i'm gonna have you know (laughs) you know yeah some some indie rock band here and a grindcore band and you know and that's kind of and you kind of embody all that in some way i i can't help it yeah i'm a, i call myself a mutt i'm definitely a mutt i'm mutt ethnically like where i come from i have like eight different ethnic backgrounds and um that's how i'm with my music like i listen to i'm a, a huge reggae head first and foremost I reggae music all day um, but yeah, I'm a punk. I'm a hardcore kid. I, I love metal. I love indie rock. I love everything. I mean, why should you, you know, I can't really say that, you know, people can identify like I'm a metal head I'm this, I'm that I, I've got so many different things that I identify with that. I just, I'm not comfortable really putting one label on it. So yeah, I'm a mutt. Yeah. Well, proud of it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I do think that is emblematic of the Northeast culture to a certain degree. The, the kind of. It's a, it's something. It's a pattern I, I I've seen. Like even get, for me, getting into the hardcore scene, just seeing like in Jersey, it was very urban. You know what I'm saying? Like even yeah. it was it was like white dudes, but they would they wasn't white dudes. These these were like street. <laughs> these these were they were some street dudes, and it it you know and it, you know at that point, hip hop culture had really inculcated yeah. itself in um in in the hardcore scene, and but I think a lot of that had to do with just what the actual physical reality of what growing up in New York or Connecticut, like you do meet dudes in hate breed and they're, you know, they're hip hop heads and they're, yeah, yeah. they're just, you know, but I, you know, you know, Brian fair from, from Shadow Saul, he's like you, right. He loves reggae and he loves indie rock and he loves Prague. And you know, there's, yeah. there's, but I think there is something about the Northeast where, you know, it, it wasn't until I started going on tour and going to like Minnesota and you're like, you just find like a metal person and they, Listen yeah. to metal, and that's their. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We used to call them Hessians back then. The Hessians. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, and you, you know, you make a valid point too, because hip hop was a huge influence on me. I loved hip hop before I liked any underground music. Like, I was reciting Public Enemy and Gangstar before I was ever reciting any hardcore lyrics, Minor Threat. You know, you name it. Like, hip hop was first, and I think it's because of where I came from, where I was living in Providence, and. 
I also think the era, that era, the '90s hip hop was just. Hold everywhere. on, you, you got I mean, bars? You got bars? You gonna spit for us on the show? <laughs> I will not. I will not spit for you. I I can rap. And yeah. No bars, but no, I'm not gonna embarrass myself. Yeah. Way. Listen, man. I don't know. I feel like you know. You get you know. You just get in the cipher. You just fucking make it happen, man. I don't know if you want to make. I it. I could. Yeah, I used to. I'm I'm out of practice, but I lived in the same house as a great rapper, Sage Francis. Uh, we we were roommates. He was writing his album, um, uh, Personal Journals, which is a great record, while I was writing A Lavage of Breathing. And I would have people stay over the house that were from the hardcore scene, and he would have rappers stay over. A lot of the guys from the Anticon Click, Soul, Dose One, all those Minnesota crazy artistic rappers. So I grew up and was like shoulder to shoulder with all these dudes. So hip hop was a huge, huge influence. And those guys would stay over my house because I owned this house and 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 just out of the uh, outside of Providence. And these rappers would stay, and I would get behind the drums, and my friend would get behind the you know the bongos, and we have a bass player, and we would be the background for these guys rapping. So I was just around it so much. I, I totally got into cyphers, and I used to freestyle, and I, I love hip hop and poetry. But yeah, I ain't about to spit on your part. <laughs> listen, I, listen I don't know, man. It, it could be the, could be the next move. But um, so <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to see that, Doc. <laughs> so so I listened to Corinne, and then I listened listen to Nothing Stays Gold, which I, I hadn't heard before either. And there was yeah. a big yeah. difference because also this on this record now you're actually singing. Along. Yeah, I was experimenting with a terrible singing voice, and I don't know what that. We it's were still trying. your voice. We, we see, it's I don't think terrible. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't think it's that necessarily that you're singing poorly. It's just back in the day when we didn't have budgets, and we like you would <laughs> you didn't have like, real producers, and you just kind of go in a room and you know you you were you, you we just we, we were who who we were, but but that record sounded you know just in general like there seemed to be a little bit almost like grunge influence and some kind of experimental stuff and it got quiet and it it wasn't yeah. just trying to be uh just like a, a hardcore record so there was yeah i was really into dc hardcore like anything off discord at the time fugazi hoover uh lungfish that whole scene really was a huge influence on me too so yeah it was kind of like that post hardcore thing and and we just were trying to like mix styles but i think it was a little too stretched out a little too we were reaching a little too far for for our uh, for our own good, but you know it was a good. It kind of led me to do what I do now. So where did the scene go? The melody where, in, yeah, you know, well, and all that. But it was just a it was a poor attempt at it, I think. <laughs> but but what um were you a singer first or a screamer first? Definitely no no. I'm I don't even still consider myself much of a singer. Um, Screaming and yelling is definitely more of my wheelhouse and where I come from and how I started. And I never really wanted to sing when I first started. I just wanted to yell. I wanted to be Ian McKay from Minor Threat when I started. That was my idol. That's kind of what I wanted. And I still think Minor Threat's one of the best bands ever to exist. That's I love that shit. So, yeah, singing has always been sort of like it just kind of came along after hearing... Um, getting into faith no more and wanting to sort of ape what mike Patton did that's kind of why i started singing that in in uh early gothic death metal paradise lost yeah um uh, i was really into uh, i mean before opeth you know and opeth is another huge influence on me as well but uh yeah i just singing kind of came and it was another way to sort of channel the emotions a different sonic side that i was trying to figure out but uh yeah 
I'm not the greatest singer, but I feel it in my heart and my soul, you know? I think you're a great singer. So it's it's funny, I did an article for VH1 when I was writing over there, and I tried to track the, you know, the genesis of where singing and screaming, like that that blend of like, all right, there's a scream part and a sing part, like where that started in metal. Yeah. It's funny you brought yeah. Paradise Lost because when I was going back and trying to research, that was one of the early bands that actually did did that and it wasn't they're not yeah, i would say along the same time frame and even more i think even more important because opeth cites them as an influence was edge of sanity dan swano edge of sanity they to this day they are to me the kings of that style um crimson part two uh and crimson itself which is like a 45 minute song it is the epitome of the screaming and the singing and going back and forth and doing them both very well dan swano as a vocalist an incredible vocalist and, and uh, it's definitely a little more like dragons and queens and like that kind of lyricism but stylistically that dude nailed that style early on alongside you know my dying bride yeah and paradise lost and anathema those that early like 90 92 93 gothic death metal that's kind of where i got it from you're like an encyclopedia, man. I won't, you know. I feel like I know a good amount of music, but like your your deep cut knowledge, which I guess probably why you DJ. You know, you can just you can just you know off the dome. You just you're just coming up with all the all the references. Only old shit though. You can ask me anything <laughs> about modern music, and I'm not. I don't really know about much much about modern music. Well, I'm just saying I'm intimidated. I feel like man, I gotta do. Man, I gotta I gotta I gotta learn up. So I, if I come to the conversation with Jesse, I don't feel like a dumbass. Uh, <laughs> That's only if you want to hear dorky gothic death metal. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I I enjoy it. I used to get those uh, you know Central Media Nuclear Blast samplers, and like some you know Benediction. <laughs> oh yeah, I used to love Benediction. Yeah, I know. Benediction. <laughs> um, so when you were playing with you know Corinne and Nothing Stays Gold, I mean, what were your Obviously, you're a young person. Did you have any broad goals? Or are you just, you know, doing music for fun? Were you in college? Like, what was your vibe at that no. point in your life? I was very much, um, as much as I was singing in a odd sort of metal, metallic hardcore band, uh, my goals were to play shows and score drugs and, and um, have fun. There was really no ambition there at all, honestly. Um, and there's a good chunk of that time frame. I don't remember much. I was doing some crazy stuff, man. You name like it, what? I kind of did it. Like criminal I, shit. I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've dabbled, man. I've done. I used to love Angel Dust. I remember when I first met the Overcast dudes. Um, it was at this weird basement show in Pennsylvania, and I walked up to them because I admired them. I was like, "Dude, you guys are awesome. You must be totally into drugs, like I am." <laughs> and I remember offering them angel dust, and they were like, "Nah, we're good." They, they <laughs> smoke a lot of weed, like, though. Yeah, I got weed laced with angel dust. You want some? <laughs> so back then, I was I was taking a lot of acid. I was doing angel dust. Um, I used to do occasionally do cocaine for fun. Um, yeah, I just like partying and like <laughs> listening to music and playing shows. There was no no ambition. Well, were you in school? Just, were you working? Like, what nope. were you? I I was working. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I've done tons of crazy jobs. I think at the time I was going through that phase of my life, believe it or not, I was working. Uh, I started out at a pizza place right out of high school, which um, I sort of co-managed a pizza place. And then uh, from there, I started working. I took over my dad's job. He uh, he got caught up in the, mu- uh, the movie industry because my uncle was a director. 
and uh, he left his job at a law firm as a sort of uh, real estate paralegal to go do movies, and I took over his job. So from nine to five, I was working at a law firm, and then from five to whenever, I was just going crazy and playing shows and going to shows. I was probably going to about three or four shows a week back then. The Goth Nights, the the Ska Nights, the Skinhead Nights, the Metal Nights, I, Club Babyhead, the Living Room in Providence. Those are my that was my house. Yeah, I'd come home from work. Smoke some weed, get in the car, and go to a show. That was my life for years, for many years. So, how did the uh, Killswitch dudes find you, and you, you link up with these 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 mass holes? Yeah, yeah, I know. So we are so different. Um, yeah, so Corinne did okay regionally. Like we would pull, you know, about 200, 300 people on a good night and making decent money. So the clubs would offer us, you know, good nights, good slots. So we would invite a bands that we admired from out of state. So Overcast, Aftershock, Candiria. We were actually one of the first bands to bring Candiria into Rhode Island, and they played a matinee with us in uh, Providence at Club Babyhead. And I remember Candiria took the stage in front of like maybe 25 people, and including the band, my band, we all just stood there with our jaws like on the floor, like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? It was like Busta Rhymes over like death metal like we couldn't wrap our heads around it. and then you know they would finish the song and all of us would be like yo what the fuck that's so so like we started rubbing elbows with these guys and i became fast friends with uh, adam because he was this big goofy strange dude like i was so intimidated by him watching him on stage and then he'd come off stage and be like the sweetest dude ever like chugging diet cokes at the bar like just this <laughs> odd weird dorky dude and i just thought he was hysterical uh and then mike d i always admired from afar and really never talked to him much because he was always kind of an odd unapproachable guy hey dreads um, dreads mike d is a different guy all right that was a different you know he was unapproachable yeah, yeah was back then yeah <laughs> so so um long story short um corinne morphed into nothing stays gold it was a guitar player from corinne and myself and toby adam's brother had a record label devil's head records and he wanted to put our ep out so I met Toby, not really getting the connection, even though they were in the same band. I didn't realize they were brothers, even though they look very similar. Um, and then through Toby, my uh, relationship with Adam grew because Adam wanted to invite me to sing on an EP. He was actually doing um, Slayer covers, and he wanted to sort of morph them into these weird psychedelic, I, I don't even know how to describe it, taking like rain and blood and making it sound like pink floyd was his idea for was it. he on he, angel dust <laughs> yeah yeah just fucking mad mountain dew it was before he even drank beer yeah this is back when he was just drinking um i'm sorry not mountain dew diet coke he was just drinking soda like, chubby dude like that loved food and soda and uh yeah that never worked out it fell through and then uh, um, nothing stays gold broke up and i get a phone call from adam he's like hey would you be interested in jamming with the side project I have with Mike D from Overcast? And that's all I needed. I was like, yep, absolutely, 100%. So uh, Killswitch started out as a side project to Aftershock. Yeah. Because Aftershock was like a pretty decently sized band at the time. And then Overcast had broken up, so it was the side project of, of Adam from Aftershock. Yeah, so, I, you know, going back and, and, and listening to the record, and, you know, I was – there was obviously something in the water at that time, you know, within a, like a two or three year period, essentially, you, you know, God forbid, put out Reject Sickness in 99. Um, 
2000 is also the same year that Shadow Saul put out of One Blood. Oh, uh, God, oh yeah. Um, I think Stings of Consciousness uh, on Earth came out in 99. Shadows you, Fall. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, there was this, obviously something happening where all of a sudden all of these bands emerging out of the quote unquote hardcore scene were actually putting out records that just sounded like metal. Like it wasn't, oh no, it's metallic hardcore or even, I know, you know, we kind of use the broad term metalcore, but contextually compared to what was going on in the scene, it sounded like metal. And that first Killswitch record, sonically, how tight it was, how well produced it was, it it just seemed like there was a dividing line. Uh, and uh, was it that well conceived before you guys got together? Was it like you went in with a thing? No. Uh, I know Adam and uh, Mike D had talked about just stripping things down, like how Overcast was very technical and a lot of different changes. The idea was, you know, being huge corrosion conformity um uh what's what's another band that really influenced that? I, you see was was kind of the believe it or not was kind of the uh, catalyst for for mike d to want to do more simple stuff so he wanted to do more power cordy kind of metal yeah if you will and then i was not in any of those conversations i just showed up and did what i did and we recorded that record in three days like literally just I don't know what it is—the mixture of people, the the energy. It was there. How long did it take you to write it? I don't know because I wasn't a part of most of that process when I joined. But I mean, but you're at least at least with your end of it. Was it a situation? Because I know, obviously, Adam is very involved in production and writing and dealing with vocals. But at that time, was yeah. it, was the situation where he was like, "Well, you just write the vocals and come in and sing," or was it was he pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I didn't. I. To this day, I still don't have much input on the music. It's I'm the singer guy that writes lyrics, and I'm very involved with you know placement of it and choruses. I get super into that, but as far as music, I don't. I'm not a metal guy. I don't have that sort of capability. Where Mike can at least hammer out riffs on a guitar, I I kind of can't even do that. Like yeah, if I put it, you put a guitar in my hand, I'm gonna play you something psychedelic and strange and discordant. Like I don't, I don't really. I'm I'm a moody player. I don't know the. I can't hammer on a guitar so. Did you? Yeah. Um, sorry. Did, did you have? Yeah. Did you have like a, an understanding, kind of when you started jamming with those guys or working on the record that there was something different here? That there was a level of kind of musicianship and songcraft and kind of attention to detail that was because I mean, no joke. It, it's it, it's not just like oh you listen to Nothing Gold and you listen to the first. Or nothing says gold in the first kill switch album and hear this giant difference. There was a giant difference between that record and everything that was happening in that scene at that at, at, at that time. Yeah, I can't really speak to like the scene as a whole and like the whole trajectory of it. I just knew that I was getting into a situation where I had to step it up. I definitely felt that. Um, just for the fact that I was jamming with members of Aftershock and Overcast, bands that I felt like were on a really high caliber for that particular scene, the Northeastern scene, those guys were writing really creative stuff. And there was a lot of talent behind it. It wasn't just, you know, hardcore power chords. It would, there was a lot of technicalities that I didn't even quite understand. So I knew that I had to like step up my A game. And that's kind of what I did. I just, you know, I showed up with just crazy creative ideas and 
it just jammed. It just worked. And then Adam has always been that person to like be there with you while you have an idea and sort of help you along. From day one, he was like, "Oh, that's really good what you did, but try this." And yeah. He would always be there to sort of coach me along, and I think that's the only reason I even am where I am is because of his teaching and his his guidance. Adam's always been there to like help. So when the record was done, did you kind of realize? Where like like were you like feeling yourself? You're like, yo, I'm the I'm dope. My band is dope. You kiss my ass. Where is it? Did, was, was it? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever felt that. Because <laughs> that's how I would have felt. I got a pretty low self esteem, but uh, <laughs> yes, but but, no, but you have this that, thing. When the album was done. I was I was definitely very proud of it, and I did feel like we had something for sure. But um, I you know. I could have never guessed it would have did what it did. Absolutely not. You know, I knew it was good, but I don't think any of us had. I feel like for us, we just thought, oh, we're going to travel around the Northeast and play shows and have a good time. Like that's as far as it got in our heads. Yeah. It was no, it was no like uh, ambition to like have a career or make money off of it. None of that shit. I just thought I'd spend my weekends having fun with some rad dudes. Like that's kind of where my head was. Yeah, I mean that's how it seemed at the time. I, I remember the first time I saw you guys. I'm I'm not sure if we met, uh, but I I definitely met all the other guys because you were definitely at those. I was a days. recluse back then. Well, you just seemed very shy, you know. Um, yeah. But it was at the yep. it was at the Eminem Hall in wherever the hell in New Jersey. I don't know if you remember. It was this little like you know like a, a, any hardcore venue. This is this is little hall. And uh, and obviously Adam was still playing drums, and you know, through those early years, it's it's you know we played together all the time, and it's yeah. funny because it was, God forbid, would always headline over or play over Killswitch for the for the longest time. I can go through all all oh, the yeah. all, all the shows through that whole cycle because you know we you know that we put out Determination and in two thousand one, and we're touring a lot and. So, you know, even like yeah, you guys were on a big, you, to me, you were on a big label and you had support and you guys were the heavy hitters for sure. Back then I was like, you guys were the band. Yeah. Well, to, to me, it was, I always felt like there was something about that record that was amazing, but live, like it, it took Killswitch a minute to kind of find its footing. And a lot of that I think had to do with Adam switched from drums to guitar yeah. Um, and the, yeah, ba- and the sure. band, beca- because especially too, because uh, musically there's a lot of two guitar stuff. So it kind of with one guitar, it didn't really fill out properly in yeah. my in, in, yep. in my in, in, in my opinion. And you know, during that during that time, obviously between the self titled and Alive Was Just Breathing, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's this kind of legendary demo. Uh, you know that I I got and it had um, would have uh, fixation on darkness. It had uh, the first opening track, number days, number days, number and, then, days. and then it had a live just, live just breathing. And I think Mike Gitter sent it to me or whatever, or maybe maybe Mike yeah. Gitter, might have sent it to me. But I remember, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the show because it's really like, you know, it is it was it basically was like the sound of my own career ending, like. It was, <laughs> I mean, no, because it was, it was almost like, cause you know, we had this concept of like what our next record's going to be and where we want to go. And it was this thing where you're like, 
oh, this is the next thing. This is going to, you know, it, it, it was so obvious to me. And I, and I know, though, you know, those demos had a big, uh, re, you know, that was the main reason why you pretty much you caught a Roadrunner Records attention was because yeah. there was something yeah. really, really special about that. What was going on during that time? Because you guys, you know, you were like a lot of bands where you were almost like weekend warrior bands, right? You go, you do some yeah, shows we were, here. We were, yep. um, and you and I and I think to a certain degree, the bands I saw that were a little smarter at that time weren't like us who were like, we're going out and we're gonna be a band and let's and do it. We're gonna quit our jobs. I, I think some of the other bands who were smarter, like you guys, were like, no, we're gonna like take our time. We're gonna dip a toe. We're not gonna like forsake our entire lives and futures just to try and quote unquote make it um what was going on during that period of time so obviously the record was successful the first one you guys were building an audience people you know you were becoming a band that people cared about but something happened in between that time creatively um that can you speak to that at all yeah it's hard to say honestly because i feel like it was just such a natural progression that um there wasn't a ton of discussion except for the fact that, you know, I remember having a talk with Adam about, you know, cause he's always again, very involved uh, about sort of saying to me, like, you know, let's aim, aim for you to sort of speak like the, what you've been writing is good, but let's, let's try to hone in on like more of a message. Like, what are you trying to say with your songs? And the idea of getting it out to a larger audience you know, because we did see that we were getting attention. So I just kind of like dug deep within myself. And um, at the time, I was listening to a ton of Bob Marley. And I have always admired him and Joe Strummer from The Clash. And they sort of had this this balance between spirituality and a hint of political and maybe in The Clash's case, a little more political. But I wanted to ride that line and also getting very into the bad brains as well. So I was so, sort of on that path of like wanting to to write about the deeper things, but still have it be relevant to where we are in society. So I, I was trying my best to blend spirituality as well as like a, a an underlying political theme. So just barely breathing the, you know, sort of the title track to allow just breathing is very much an existential song about, where are we in our lives? Where are we in society? You know, it's it's the you know, the chorus is are we alive or just breathing? And that, to me, that was sort of the the umbrella of that I wanted to write under. Of like, it, it's very much a spiritual looking up to the sky to God and like questioning, and then looking to to the people on Earth, which I very much do these days, and be like, well, what is going on with us? Are we actually alive? Are we compassionate? Are we are we striving to be better people, or are we just getting by, just doing the bare minimum to get by? And I, I felt very frustrated with my own life at that time. So it was this burning desire to just break out of my shell, to get out of that place I was in my life. You know, the whole idea of like getting out of your small town and seeing the world. And I was just trying to throw my arms around the world, and that's kind of where all that came from. I just wanted to speak to a bigger platform. Not just our scene, not just what was going on in New England or the Northeast or the, you know, the 200, 300 kids that would show up to our shows. But it was like, I want to talk to people over in Japan. I want to talk to people across the world. 
what is our message? And that's kind of where the fire got ignited with me. It's like the message was number one. The sound was taken care of by those guys. And to me, it was like, how do I match the sound that they're coming up with? Which to me was so fucking epic. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to hone in on this message of like, why are we even here on this earth? And that's kind of what I ran with with that record. It was a very existential struggle. Were you in an in a, in an evolved space from you know you said a few years earlier you were you know getting fucked up and partying and I mean were you like a little more enlightened at yeah, this I was, point? I was slowing down on the yeah I I had sort of knocked off all the hard stuff and spent a lot of time philosophizing and I was getting into believe it or not it's funny. I was definitely getting very much into sort of Rasta culture and, you know, uh, kind of a bit of a wannabe back then, really into reggae music and talking philosophy and poetry. I was really getting deep into poetry as well. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I was kind of trying to elevate my brain and and sort of become more enlightened, I guess. Um, So that was a transition as well, you know, just wanting to do better and be better and, and make a difference in the world and less self-destruction and more evolution you know as yeah. a person did uh was the record done before you signed with roadrunner or is it you did the demo got the deal and then finished the record yeah the demo was the catalyst and once the demo was done they were happy with that and that's kind of when we signed and figured out the rest of the record so yeah we we were definitely signed before the record was done that's what's and roadrunner was, roadrunner was right there you know gitter was right there whispering in our ears the whole time and Actually, it's funny, and uh, I'm sure he'd chuckle about this today too. Um, uh, he was he was giving me anxiety, and I actually had him banned. He was banned from calling me, so I could finish the record because he was giving me anxiety constantly, like calling me up. So what's uh, so you know what's what's this song about? And that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good, Mike. Funny, st- yo, you want to hear something funny? Not a lot of people know this. The, uh, <laughs> He's been on the show. Funny. Yeah, I know. So he, he, he sent me a care package to help inspire me. They sent me Creed, Stained, and said, listen to these albums. This is kind of what we're thinking for your evolution as a band. Like, maybe just go a little more that direction. That's what's popping right now. <laughs> it was popping. So you didn't feel inspired. So you, Adam and I used those CDs as coasters for our drinks while we wrote. Well, and, uh, but as, I needless to say, I did not listen to them and but, was not influenced by them. But whatsoever. but here's the thing about that record is you guys kind of were the first band of the in that genre in our in our scene that really fundamentally understood how to lay down a hook. Especially yeah. in the sense of vocals and and melody, and like I said, it was like I said. I, I to me, there's a few moments in metal, especially within that era. You know, whether that's you know Cowboys from Hell coming out or Fear Factory Demanufacture, yeah, Machine Head right. Burn My Eyes. There's yeah. a handful of these albums where they just it came out and everything was kind of different after that. It was just a game changer. And that's one of those records. I think it's the most important album in metalcore ever. Um, if not the oh. be- if not the best. Well, just it like I said, it, it influenced what we were doing. I think if you look at the other bands around us, 
we all realized, like, like I said, the whole game had changed, but a lot of it was about formulating a, a structure, which I don't know if because you were in it, maybe you couldn't, sometimes you're in it, you can't really see it, where it was like, th- this is kind of a thing where it's like, all right, you have this kind of part as a verse, and here's your what here's the kind of chorus that that became a template that is still used to this day. That was yeah. not really a normal thing. Listen, you had bands that sang and screamed like VOD or Cave In, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. it wasn't established in a, in a in a in a way like that that was easy. Not that it was easy to replicate, but people could say, "Oh, it was like you cracked this code." And people are like, oh, yeah. and then it became successful. So anything, so once it becomes, obviously it's good, but once it becomes profitable, then you you see kind of a, a you know a migration where a lot of bands changed overnight because of that. Where it's just it in a way, I just feel like it 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 set the standard a lot higher. And I remember when we were doing Gone Forever, it was that album. It was you know Soil Work. Um, I'm forgetting the name of uh, Natural Born Chaos. It was Arch Enemy, uh, Wages of Sin. There was like these records that had come out that had set us a new standard of like, if you're not on this level and you're playing metal, then you need to go home because it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it was just a real dividing line. I mean, despite you not using the <laughs> Creed records and, uh, and, and, and seeing the albums as, as inspiration, clearly there was this mindfulness around kind of making metal hits because they were hits our hits. Mm. I, th- I think that just happened naturally. And I think it was a byproduct of what was being written. I think Joel, Adam and Mike just were writing this stuff that just called for that kind of vocal. I remember working on my last serenade in my bedroom, pacing around my room, like racking my brain. Cause I had the whole song figured out, but the chorus and to me, it was such a, it was actually kind of jarring. I remember hearing it being like, the whole song, I get it. But the chorus, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this chorus? Like the, you know, the sort of heavy space riffs, like, you know, dun, 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 dun. I got that. Like, that was, we all knew what that shit was. Sam Black Church, Bad Brains, like, we got that. But when the chorus did, I really was racking my brain. And I remember pacing around my room and it just hit me. I was like, oh, why, why don't I just like, reference something that's not metal at all and again like i was very much into dc post-hardcore and like indie rock you know and it was like oh well, let's make this a little more like that style and i came up with a melody and i started singing it over my head i'm like it it's jarring it's strange but it works and i remember going up to the studio and showing adam and adam was like that's yo that's exactly it that's perfect it's a hook and I never thought of it that way, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's a hook. You can sing along to it. And that kind of was the spark that sort of set it off in my head. So like, you wrote oh, that well. earlier in the process? Yeah. Serenade was one of the first to really click. I think what well, was um, uh, Fixation on the Darkness was the first one, which I don't know how hooky that is, but it was melodic. <laughs> Heavy, hardcore metal with like that sort of indie rock emo, e- proto emo. I even hate to use that word, but finding a way to sort of find a common ground between the two where you could sing it. It was heartfelt, but it still skirted the line of like, uh, it's still kind of tough, but not whiny. I don't know. And I just kind of ran with that. And that kind of just opened the floodgates for the whole record of like, make it heavy as fuck, 
make it something that people can like mosh to, but give them something to sing. And I love the idea of like seeing people go nuts. And then when the chorus came, everyone would stop pitting and rush up to the front to sing along. Yeah. And that's kind of, I got to like, Oh, I like this. I want people to sing along. This is like, I'd much rather people like sing along than, and pit. I love pits. Don't get me wrong, but it means a lot more when people are looking up at you and they're singing your words back to you. And that's kind of when I got the bug of like, Ooh, I want to write stuff where people are going to sing along to it. I feel that. Um, I think that kind of happened in that record naturally. It just, it clicked. Uh, I know, Clearly, you got a lot better as a vocalist between the, the first record and, and that record. Was uh, were you training at all, or is that just you? A little natu- bit, a little bit, yeah. I um, a little bit. I you know, honestly, I was still kind of flying blind at that point. It was after that record was done that I was actually Melissa Cross's first student. Um, she was just getting into the game. And I needed help, and she kind of helped me along, but. I didn't really get the concepts. I don't think I was patient enough or cared. I think patient. I wasn't patient enough to really get her techniques or what she was trying to tell me. Uh, and then fast forward to like years later getting vocal surgery and then seeing her again and having it really click and me understanding the concept. So from Alive, Alive just breathing all the way up through the most recent record, I was destroying my voice. Yeah. I was just putting my 100% emotion into it. And the technique took a backseat to the way that I felt the words needed to sound, which, you know, is good for a look live, but sonically it just doesn't sound a certain way. But I was all heart and soul and and stubborn and (laughs) young and sort of like that punk rock attitude, like, I got this. Um, So I think I was working really hard, but I was also neglecting technique. So I got better, but I still wasn't doing it right. Yeah, I mean, and obviously there was, uh, you know, things went awry pretty soon after the record comes out. And I think we we did a show in Maine right before it came out. And I think it was us, you guys, Diecast. I remember that. Diecast. It was the first time I saw uh, Adam playing playing guitar. I was like, this motherfucker looks even goofier on guitar than he does on drums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we had Pete from uh, Pete Cortese from Overcast on second guitar at that show, I think. No, oh, no, no. The we show didn't... you're thinking about is Melody Bar, where Pete was Pete was playing, and that's what that was uh, the fir- yeah, right. I think that's the first time you guys played Fixation on the Darkness live, actually. Was Correct. that and that was two thousand yeah, Two, I want to say that yeah, show. Your memory's better than mine when it comes to that. Show. Well, it's, I mean, listen, man. I mean, because you know, because back then it wasn't we weren't touring. You do like a show, <laughs> you know. It's like oh, we're doing so. It's, it really stands out in some of these 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 lineups, and you know, it was always intimidating too. I remember we we headlined over you guys at Fat Cats one time, and I'm like, why are we, they're the Massachusetts, they're the New England band, why are we, we so it was all, and you were, a band that was always intimidating to have to play after, so it was all, you know, just, it, it very, it, it really, it really sticks with me. Like, I'm, do you remember the uh, Riverfront Rampage? So it was at a baseball stadium, it was for WSOU. Oh yeah, Thursday and Shadows Fall. Lamb of God, you know, yeah. so, yeah. El Nino, Biohazard. I mean, yeah. so many bands played, but I remember you guys played super early, like second, and there was like hardly anyone there. And I remember like like feeling bad for you. I was like, man, this is fucking whack. 
you know, and then within, you know, a couple years, actually, and then a year after that, or actually maybe later that summer, you guys opened the the Cradle of Filth show at the Palladium. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember we, we, we were late. We were coming from Jersey, and uh, we were stuck in traffic. You know that traffic on the fucking 95 getting up there is no joke. So we literally, like, pulled up while you guys were still playing. <laughs> <laughs> and had to like get all our gear on, on 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 stage but no no but you know I th- like I said when I prepare for these interviews and I, I go through the music and then just all this shit just Memory. floods back yeah man we're like damn man yeah. I it's you know that's you- why I like listening to your podcast too because the way you interview especially when it's people within our own scene like it just takes me way back I love hearing it yeah it's just I don't know it's just, it's such a magical time for uh me and as a musician in that time frame of music it was just it was nothing like it man yeah listen and, I, and i'm generally not a very nostalgic person i hate to me and, and and you know and that sounds really hypocritical in the midst of what we're kind of talking about but what i'm saying is i don't sit here and go i don't pine for the old days right like i don't i'm not trying to relive that i'm not trying to re kind of yeah, yeah. you know but but uh, but i do think understanding where you come from gives you perspective to where we are now and i'm amazed that you're still here doing it i'm amazed i'm still here still doing it somehow we've survived and thrived in many in 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 many ways but with you in particular you know i've you know as things developed because you like said right when that album came out on that you did you quit on the soil work tour or after the soil work tour yeah, uh, so like, basically bailed on the last show of that tour in Seattle. So, by the way, you were the original Chappelle, except you you pulled the Chappelle before Chappelle. <laughs> I was, and it's funny you say that because I was planning on going to Africa. <laughs> did, you know, did you know that? Did you know that? No. By the way, oh, yeah. if you would have put out a reggae album called "Leech Goes to Africa." It would have been just perfect, man. Oh, oh yeah, my I, God. I wanted to just, I, I felt like at that time, because I was a delusional sort of, sort of um, elitist person at the time. I just thought I wanted to do God's work and I wanted to go do mission work in Africa. I, Why didn't you? Yeah. I was on some other, like, music isn't enough. I wanted to go and get my hands dirty and help people in Africa. That was my actual goal. Didn't work out, but. I think that was even part of my email to the band when I quit. <laughs> yeah. So, Chappelle, indeed. Can I? Can I? I can that. I ask a question? Do you think part of that was fear of success? Like, like. Oh the- yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Well, that and like just honestly, like realizing I had a mental illness, which I, was what I wrestled. I had rental, you know, wrestled with depression and anxiety, social anxiety, for many years before I had language for it. But the fear that I would get from performing. And then the fear I would get when we started to get success and people would recognize me and stop me in the street and like want to take a picture or an autograph or like when that first started happening, that terrified me. I I was not ready for that at all. And uh, I was miserable and I didn't have a language for it. I didn't know how to ask for help. So I just, I think I just ran away from it. Whoa. Oh my cat just knocked something down. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so it, listen and and being 
close to you guys, being part of the same scene, knowing, you know, all, you know, you know, I mean, I, I'm friends with your manager, I'm friends with Mike Gitter, so I'm he- hearing about all this stuff, and, and like I said, anytime there's a band, especially that's on, like, the cusp of greatness, and is like, this is going to be the next thing, and, you know, I remember talking to Mike at this time, and he was like, you know, in his mind at the time, it was like, man, if this motherfucker didn't quit, this was going to be the biggest fucking record of all time. And that he he felt it like really hindered the band's prospects. Um, I mean, I think in yeah, hindsight. Little did he know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, because I honestly I mean, and maybe you, you don't kind of realize this. I d- think it was a situation, you know, if it wasn't Howard, who I don't know of anyone off the top of my head that could have done maybe a speed from soil work or something like that could, but at the time he was in a bigger band. Why is he going to go, you know, like <laughs> quit his band and do the band, even though within like a year, you guys were, were bigger than they were, but it, it, it really was, there just weren't that many people that could do both things yeah. that well. So it was like, Holy fuck. This guy made this record that changed the game. And it, it just so happened. There was a Howard, but, but, and, the, and obviously did two of the band's biggest records after yeah. that but yeah. uh but yeah it was it was just like holy shit this is it this is fucking crazy and it's you know kind of going back before about hearing the demo and feeling like the, this is like the end of my career uh howard's first show right was at hellfest hellfest yeah, yeah. god forbid was they and they scheduled kill switch halfway through god forbid set <laughs> so it was literally a metaphor for our career because you we just got wow. to see all the people leaving our show to go watch kill switch and it's like and i was like you know some some shit is just destined to to, to work yeah. out that way um <laughs> did you but did you ever see any like the footage of his early shows Oh yeah yeah he uh, kept later on, this I, motherfucker wouldn't be singing he'd be putting the mic out I was like, yo are you are you scared on the mic? Well, fuck you, what you? <laughs> yo, he still does that. He still does that. I've never seen, yo, I think that shit is mad funny because, um, yeah, light the torch. I saw them like play a festival and they had just kind of popped off and he's, he's still holding the mic up Sorry, listen, and they're like a fairly new I'm band, like, but like you can like, sing, like you can sing Howard. <laughs> It's his swagger. He can pull it off though. It doesn't matter what he does. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> it was, it was but anyway, but I was, you know, I, you know, I'd been friends with him forever, so I was like happy for him at the same time, happy to see see what was going on with the band. But you know, and I think I didn't see you for I don't even know how long. Um, but yeah, you know, I pieced the fuck out. I, pe- I I intentionally disappeared. I didn't want. And then when I did resurface with Seamless, it was very much on the idea of let's just be a bar rock band and keep a low profile. I didn't, I didn't even want to tour. I, I didn't want any of it. I was almost reluctant to join that band, but I just knew I needed music. Who, who yeah, where, I, did, where I did the impetus come out. from to even do a seamless? Um, so Derek, the drummer who had quit shadows fall joined up with Pete who, you know, X kills switch X overcast. Um, and he's like, Hey, and he kind of pitched to me. He's like, Hey, I know that you're, sort of like not into touring. I know you're not into having a high profile. What do you think about joining a blues rock band and like just singing some blues? And I didn't really get it until uh, they sent me like, you know, I, I got a mixed CD in the mail 
and it was a, a mixture of, you know, like uh, Caius, which I'd never heard of Caius before, Crozier Conformi, uh, Cactus, and had some sound, sound garden vibes too. Sound, yeah, like that whole thing. And I, I'd never even saw myself as that kind of a singer ever. But the idea of doing something completely outside of what I was known for and challenging myself and having fun with it seemed appealing. And I did it for, I wanted to do it for like a, a bar tab because I fell hard into drinking after I left Killswitch. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to drink for free and play some rock music and just have fun. And that's kind of where Seamless came from. Just a bar band that, you know, we started out as a bar band having fun. Yeah, and but I, then it became like a thing. All of a sudden you got a manager and you're on tours and you're on record yep. labels. And then so it just it, happened. It just fucking happened. I don't know. Man. But it's but, it, you know, you got to stand from the outside looking in. It's a little peculiar because you have a guy who's like, yeah, I can't be on the road. And I can't be doing this band shit. And then you have a band explode and then you leave and then you just go and then you do another band and get back in the van and then you're doing not the same thing, but similar thing, but you're just probably going to make way less money because the band's not as big. Oh, as- no, yeah. No, there's no probably. It, it, uh, <laughs> I was broke as fuck. But um, I think, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think that looking back, I needed some kind of redemption. And I think if nothing else, it's the whole idea of like when you fall off the horse, get back on it. I, I needed to overcome my fear of touring because it was the one thing standing in between me and the one thing I love more than anything with his music. So I needed to overcome that. I needed to figure it out. I needed to get out there and just try it again. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Why? And uh, it, it kind of just, I was having fun. I don't know what it was. Uh, it might have had something to do with the drinking, because in Killswitch, I wasn't drinking. <laughs> and seamless. Uh, the, the drinking just killed the anxiety. It killed the nerves. It just felt more fun. Yeah. And I think that evolved into me realizing that if I'm going to be out there doing this, i got to figure out a way to enjoy it. And I started to s- slowly overcome my social anxiety. But um, for better or for worse, I think alcohol had a lot to do with it. <laughs> alcohol True. saves. Listen, I, uh, you know, Xanax hasn't been around forever. Drunk <laughs> What's that? I said it also destroyed me, too, because I became a full-blown drunk in Seamless, too. Well, the, well, see, around this time is when you and I actually kind of actually became more real friends around this time. Yeah. Because you were... You know, I guess, is that when you were in Yonkers and stuff? So you would, yeah. like, come out to see God Forbid. Um, you know, like, I know you saw us at, uh, what's that fucking place? Uh, St. Vitus. I don't know. I, I started, We started running into each other all the time. Yeah, because around. I was a fan, dude. I feel like when you guys put out um, Constitution of Treason, to me, that, and I still feel this way, 100 it's one of the best records of that genre hands down like i feel like that album is a masterpiece thank you i still put it on i still think it fucking destroys half of this shit i love 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 that's your alive just breathing i fucking love that record yeah i, I think to, I, you know top to bottom I, I i think it was the most focused the band was the most kind of tuned in and uh you know when that shit dropped it i was like this is what's up i wasn't even listening to that much metal then and I heard that record, and I was like, "Yo, these guys, this shit rules." 
But yeah, so but that was 2005. Seamless Rock come, comes out in 2005. And I remember I, I you know I, I saw you guys a few times. I want to say I was I saw you at Starland. Was it within Flames? I forget who who it was with. Yeah, yeah, in Flames. Yep. Um, you know, so we were like we were hanging out all the time and just talking. I was just and I was happy that you were just kind of in it and and having fun and like said it because like said because before you were a little more reclusive and now you were just like a dude we're back there we're fucking we're handing the bottle jack around and just being yeah yeah rock and roll idiots um yeah and i think those right listen i think those seamless stuff is awesome like i was a fan um but you probably and i don't want to speak for you but you probably kind of realize this this thing of like when the metal guy puts out a rock album sometimes the fans of your what you were doing they don't give a shit Nah, they don't give a shit it's a, well that happened with my, my other band vegas nerve like i put out this like prog rock album after <laughs> after my first thing after god forbid and and it, like people liked it but but obviously people want a certain thing from you yeah you know, that they're that they're kind of known for so i definitely I feel like that with any project i've ever done anything the only thing i ever got was kill switch yeah and specifically leverage is breathing even today even today it doesn't even matter and i have to be thankful for it but it can be frustrating as an artist when you're trying to like branch out and do something fresh and something you're excited about and the one thing you keep getting is the one thing that you did like you know many years ago but i digress i'm I'm grateful for it but yeah it doesn't matter what i do it's it's always going back to kill switch how did seamless end Poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our last tour was opening for a band called Soil, playing in front of like 10 people in the middle of the Midwest and like trying to survive off of $10 a day per, per band member to eat, barely scraping by, staying at people's houses, um, not getting adequate rest, just drained, drained, and and burning the candle at both ends, and just no one gave a fuck anymore. And yeah. Derek got this opportunity to play drums on Earth, and he jumped on it, and you know none of us blamed him for it. We're like, go, go do it. We're done. Yeah. And uh, we had racked up a, oh, I don't know, about a six or seven thousand dollar credit card bill due to van breaking down repairs like all the shit that we just couldn't afford because we weren't making money and i actually had to pay my way out of that band so when seamless broke up i was flat broke and i had to get a job and pay the credit card down and then we broke up and at the time i had owned a house of for better for worse i probably should have never done it at such a young age and i i lost the house and i lost like eighty thousand dollars so i Holy left seamless broke with an $80,000 deficit over my head. So I actually moved back home with my parents for a year to get back on my feet and got a got a terrible job that I hated. So yeah, life just spiraled into even worse situations. So from Kill Switch to Seamless to After Seamless. And you were married just, during this all the time too, so you had yeah, relationships yeah, yeah. to, to deal with as well. Downward spiral, man. Yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah, and I, and I got married way too young in a relationship with somebody who just was not was not very loyal and faithful so it was a rough i had a rough go for a good number of years <laughs> but but somehow you start a new band <laughs> within all that and somehow you weren't scared off and obviously with empire shall fall it was it was never like a a full-time touring band yeah, Never. but it, but you were it was more like but you needed clearly just like 
I just want to kind of speak to a certain resilience, right? To, you know, maybe this is why you're just a lifer where, because think about how many, how many bitter people do we know that, had some rough a luck. Lot, and they all come to the shows and tell us about yeah. how they are. But, saying, but, you know, it didn't, they had their seamless situation, right? Where the band didn't work out. They lost money. They lost jobs. They were down on their luck. And then they used that experience as a way to kind of tar and feather the idea, the entire idea of being in a band or, or making music. Yeah. But somehow your spirit wasn't broken in terms of being a creative person and wanting to make music and do shows i saw empire shuffle a couple times you know um around the kind of new york area and um so what what kind of kept you going to actually want still want to be a creator and, and a performer i just i need it i need it it's like my drug you know music is my therapy music is my life like i can't i can't not do it and I, you know, I was working a job I hated, and the only release I had, the only thing that made me feel good and like leveled me out was music. So I would work a job I hated from Monday to Friday, and then from Friday night through Sunday, it was just crazy, like playing shows, drinking, doing my thing, and sort of regulating myself out so I could make it through Monday through Friday. It was the only thing that kept me alive. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether it was Empire Shall Fall or later on Times of Grace, just something that was in front of me that made me strive and, and gave me a reason to live. Let's yeah. be real. As dramatic as that sounds, that's truly what music has been for me. Even to this day, like it's just it's the reason why I live is I just need music. I, I don't know if I were to stop doing music, I just don't I don't know how long I'd last. I don't know. And even not even just touring and like being quote unquote successful, but like in any way, shape, or form, like even now during this whole quarantine thing, I'm creating constantly. Uh, I can't not do it. It's just, it's, it's, I don't have a choice, you know? Yeah. I don't have a choice. One, one of the things about The Empire Shall Fall, which is a cool band, but I, it made me realize, I was like, I don't like to hear Jesse sing over really low tuning. <laughs> Yeah, it's there's like, a lot of, lot of bow, I'm like, bow. I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> there's no, there's no intellectual point to be made there. I was just like, nah, I don't like. He, he needs to be on a higher tuning for some reason. To yeah, my, <laughs> guitars can get boring too after a while. Honestly, I, I like the idea of, of sort of some of that stuff, but that tuning, the seven string, eight string, the lower, t- some of it just bores me after a while. It just sounds, brown. I don't know. <laughs> Hey, but you were, you know, you Maybe were involved. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I personally, I was like, I don't, I don't like it. That's my own little, little, little thing. But, you know, we got to talk, talk about, <laughs> we got to talk about Times of Grace because I, I think that record, Hands of Broken Man, is, if not as good as Alive or Just Breathing, it's, I mean, I think I, it might be one of the best albums just of that entire era of all rock and metal anything like it's it's something to this day like i put that album on and i get like emotional i mean i think in some respects it might be my the favorite you know my favorite thing you've ever done um it's really transcendent you know and i'm I'm like you know the, anyway Thanks, i'm gonna licking your, licking your balls right now <laughs> no you know that's the thing though you don't ever do that and i know you well enough you're, you're i know your character i know who you are you don't kiss ass so that means a lot but it's 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 Thank so amazing. You. Even now, just listen. It's like you know, because I'm listening to songs, and you just you have an album you don't want to turn it off. You're like, all right, I got I got to listen to this other thing. But anyway, um, 
so the genesis of that was that just you and Adam kind of reconnecting on on your own, or what was going so, on th that period? Yeah, so Adam threw his back out and was in London in a hospital, not knowing whether or not he was going to be able to perform again, not knowing if he was going to walk again, in a really dark place. And him being the fucking genius that he is, he can't help himself. He basically came up with almost an entire record in his head while laying there on the so being sort of an invalid and sitting there like he, he created a record in his fucking head so the moment he was able to use his arms again and move again he threw down i want to say it was like eight songs and um when he sat with it he realized that he didn't want it to be a kill switch album and he, he was like well what can i do with this and that's when i got the phone call he's like hey man i've written this record i don't know what to do with it but i just i hear i need your help i want you to help me write lyrics I want you to sing on it. I just, I feel like you and I just have this thing that we need to like do. And I remember getting the music and being like, holy shit. Like I did not, I didn't see it coming. We had been friends and we've kept in touch throughout all this, him and him and I, especially over anybody. But uh, yeah, when I first heard the demos from that record, I was blown away. And to me, it was just like, again, something to look forward to something to do just ignite this fire inside of me while i was otherwise sort of dead in the water working the job because it was a good from seamless to that was a good four or five year hiatus where i was just working i was kind of a regular joe you know working a regular job and trying to get by trying to blend in you know even like you know getting the whole like regular guy haircut and wearing collared shirts and like working a job were you a bartending around this time that came later. Uh, um, I was actually working at a medical facility. I started out valeting parking cars, like just sweating my ass off, running around a parking lot, parking cars for rich people who were going to this high-end like medical facility. And uh, the manager saw how I was just working my ass off. And I eventually, long story short, over the course of four or five years, became upper management where I was in the meetings with doctors and actually helping with this multi-million dollar business. I became a business person mm -hmm. because my ambition couldn't go to music. So it went to business and I became this fucking collared shirt business guy, but I was dead inside. I was depressed as fuck making good money, paying my debt down and like becoming an adult, but I hated my life. And, um, that's when Adam dropped this project in my lap and it was 2000, Eight is when it initially started and we you know through the process of me working my job and him touring it took about a year to make the record and then the record sat in the shelf for two years mm -hmm. because it it didn't want to compete uh, roadrunner didn't want it competing with kill switch of course so you know it gave me something to do i worked hard on it we we busted our ass making this record and then it just sat on a shelf for two years did uh it's a very unique piece of music a very unique time in my life yeah, I mean, listen, there, it's so it's funny because I was right around when they did the last record with Howard. And, you know, for a lot of people who are fans of the band, they felt like that record was a little underwhelming, you know. Um, but then you hear Times of Grace and it's like, for me, almost a weird thing. It, it, I, you know, I think, you know, half of those songs or more. There's no reason why they couldn't be Killswitch Engage songs. And in, yeah. and in some respects, to me... As a fan, and I think it's you know, Killswitch is one of those, one of these bands that has like their th they've kind of figured out like 
And you'll talk, you know, and Adam will even explain. He's like, well, Kilter's just a metal band, and that's what we do. We have a thing. But me as a fan, like, I love to hear artists evolve and do different things. And it's like, I don't see any reason why Killswitch couldn't go that, have more stuff like that, because I like for bands to keep you know, doing things. So, And I don't, I don't want to get kind of too into that in terms of, like, being critical of that. But it was exactly what I wanted from that kind of, cre- you know, the creative forces behind Killswitch, obviously, you and, 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 and Adam. Was it to a certain degree in that time period? Do you feel like almost like working with Adam and the other guys in the band? Is that like almost spoil you for other when you work with other people because they're just the the level of musicianship and the obviously he's a producer so he has he brings all these other things to the table where it's like it's like fuck man it's like this is where it's at I don't know I don't even feel like I'm asking the question the wrong way but I I feel like. That there must be there's clearly something there that just is elevated yeah yeah so so i would even go as far as to say this and i know adam gets super annoyed because i do this to him all the time when we have our drunken talks and we actually like you know we work 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 then we have nights when we're together working on times of grace or kill switch where it's just him and i one-on-one and i i will tell him look man like i i wouldn't be who i am today without him period as a musician um, and even as a human, honestly, him and, and, and Joel, I'll give Joel some credit on, as far as like my development as a human too. He's just gone the extra mile and he saw something in me that nobody else saw. And he encouraged me and worked with me like nobody ever did the patience of that man and the willingness to, to work through my flaws. Cause I'm not, uh, well, I don't read music. I'm not educated. You give me an instrument. I'm just, I know how to do it kind of for my ear, but. I don't know notes. I, I've never bothered to take lessons, and he's highly educated. He's on some other level where yeah. he's got pitch perfect hearing. He 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 understands the concept and theory of music. Like he's just super educated, but he's also got a lot of soul too. So I think if nothing else, like he gets it because I'm all soul. I'm like the you know it's cheesy, but I've said this like I'm like the Tasmanian devil. I come in with all these ideas. I will come in with like five pages of like epic poetry and I'm like, ah, and he'll just go that line, that line, that line, boom, 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 boom. There's the song. And I'm like, oh shit. I didn't even see it that way. Yeah. He's a curator. He he just gets how to take my madness and make it work. And without him, I, I, not even just the writing, but he's taught me, as much as Melissa Cross has as a vocalist is how to how to do it and how to make it sound and how to recognize when I'm sharp or when I'm flat because you know basically tone deaf until I got trained and part of that training most of that training was with Adam telling me like oh this is why you're flat recognize why you're flat and like hitting the guitar note that's the note you're looking for but you're going this way you're going that way and he did that for a long time. It wasn't just like he did it and I was like, oh, that's how it works. It was like, no. My punk rock brain was like, ah, eh, it's close enough. He's like, no. <laughs> Recognize why it's not on key. So it, between his patience, his his um, his way of explaining things, and his uh, uh, just belief in me has made me who I am as a vocalist. And from that, I've been able to sort of develop my own thing. So when I go to approach to write a song for any other project or help somebody out produce them, I'm using what I've learned from Adam. So I'm pretty much 
a student of Adam. And that's why I am where I am and why I can do what I can do. And I'm standing on his shoulders. Like I give him all the praise and I know he hates to hear that. It's true. true. Listening to it. I realized I was like, I was like, I've never done a record with Adam. I'm like, this is kind of like, that needs to change. I need to do something. Like I need before before, you know, I get hit by a bus or something. I need to fucking do something to Adam and, and experience some of the, yeah, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's fun to work with, but he, he's also hard to work with because he doesn't let you half-ass it. Ever. Yeah. I love and that. And it would drive me absolutely nuts, and I would get so frustrated. I would, like, stomp out of the room sometimes. And now I just take it with a grain of salt, and I realize he's just trying to make it better for the song. And uh, I love working with him now. I have fun. And even when I get frustrated, we both know each other well enough where he's like, all right, take a break. I'm going to go get some water. Chill the fuck out. And we'll come back and we'll revisit this. And now we have a routine that we do. And nine times out of ten, I'll come back and I nail it and I got it. So we've kind of figured each other out over the years. And that being said, the new Times of Grace record, I think, is the best thing either of us have ever done in our entire careers. Wow. And I cannot wait until that album comes out because I feel like it's everything that we wanted Times of Grace to be. And it pushes us even further away from the genre of metalcore. And I think we're finally in a place where we've created the record that I've always wanted to create, regardless of genre. I, I That album makes me weep, and it makes me feel joy like I never have in my life. I cannot wait for that record to come Do out. Do we have any idea when that's going to come out? Nope. <laughs> nope. Well, everything, Just obviously, like with the pandemic. We, you know. Where we are in the state of the world, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Well, Adam did say to me one of the last times I saw him that he'd like me to do the tour when when times grace happens so i'm i'm so i'm putting this i'm putting the energy out there i'm gonna call like literally i was i was just thinking about him like a month ago i was like i had to text this motherfucker just let him know I was like don't forget about me motherfucker <laughs> when that <tour." laughs> you know and obviously i'm really busy so i have to like pray that whenever the record does come out that there's not a a schedule conflict with with bad wolves because I got to do at least one tour with that band because, you know, I would just love yeah. to, I would just love to play with you guys. Um, yeah. You know. Cause it's all about, he's all about hiring people, you know, and, and keeping it simple. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you on this next record, he takes 50% of the vocals, maybe not 50, maybe 40%. So there's going to be parts of the live show. If we get to that, where I'm going to be playing piano and organ, Ooh. and like I'm going to be part of the band. Nice. So it's going to be cool. Like for me to be able to not, be the main guy in some of those songs like some of those songs are totally adam and i just do the harmonies and i i take a part here and there but he added enough instrumentation with an organ and keyboard where i'm gonna pretty much be the guy in the background doing harmonies and playing keyboard in some of those songs and i'm stoked on that i'm stoked on becoming more part of the band and and making times of grace more of a rock band It's, it's very much i think gonna push us more into the realm of heavy metal and rock as opposed to full-on metal and people are not going to hear what they're expecting it's not like the last record it's very much consciously more of a sort of post-rock alternative rock and roll metal record than it is metalcore yeah no i'm 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 really 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 looking forward to it and I, i remember you know when the you know the the first record came out and it was in many ways like this full circle moment because you did have a moment with Killswitch and then you went back to the grind and kind of, you know, in a, in a weird way, I think, you know, 
like I said, I, I, I just identify with you in so many different ways. Whereas this idea is that sometimes we have, you know, and I was going through a very similar period in my life where God forbid it was kind of winding down and I could see the writing on the wall. I was trying to figure out who I was as a person and where I was at. I was, you know, real kind of, you know, that, I guess, uh, you know, early thirties midlife crisis to a, to a certain degree. And yeah, I, I paid close attention to what you're doing. I have a lot of respect for your hustle, man. You didn't give up. You just kept going. You, like you said, you were writing. I just, I watched you when you finally hit with bad wolves. I was like, my man, you and Tommy, I was like, these guys have both been busting ass and they finally got it. So like, I have a lot of respect for you didn't give up either. You just figured out how to make it work. You moved to LA. You did all that shit. Yeah. But I was kind of, I was okay. Like, I, it was weird. It happened at the one time where I didn't really care that much about being a big musician or making money for music. It's kind of just, it's weird. Like wait, the universe is very strange, man, about like, it's like when you're dead. It's going to have to be that way though. You have to let go a little bit yeah. to like move forward. You have to, Yeah. you got to like hold on loosely. Like that song says, you know, like you got to chill the fuck out and be open to like being a writer, being a producer, being a whatever. And like not, trying to just be the one thing and then before you know it a door opens yeah but well, but that's what i'm talking about it was this time so i remember i had i think we were at idle hands and we were hanging out and it was after i want to say the tour times race did with under oath and it was like and we were just talking about you know and i was like so happy for you because i felt like you know the album like sold some records i saw the show in new york it was like sold out packed people were singing along like after all this struggle of starting new bands and touring or trying to do a thing and and, and just being and maybe this kind of speaks to your spirituality but you know i think you know at least in the christian faith it so much as hones in around humility right and kind of and when you're Low, you know, when you're kind of like I said, when you're parking people's cars and you're bartending and you're, you know, driving the van, it breaks. And it's just like something about living humbly and, you know, being kind of either okay with that or not okay with that. Something was changing during this period because Times of Grace actually did have a kind of a place in the marketplace and it was bigger touring and more, you know, you're in a tour bus. And I, but I remember you your vibe was almost like the band, it didn't quite do what you had hoped. And it didn't quite, yeah. and you would, and maybe it was because, you know, because you had been grinding all these years, but now you were kind of looking at things differently than you were, I think, four or five years earlier, where you're like, you know what? No, I'm ready to be back in the game. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. That, was that the vibe? I mean. It was the vibe. And I even like started to like, uh, it's funny. I was just going through my old emails recently, looking for poetry and, and like saving a bunch of stuff. And I was auditioning for bands. Like I, I, I was on my grind. Like, you know, there was a, a super group uh, between members of POD and I forgot who else. And like, I auditioned for them. Like, I was sending out auditions. I was like, when Times of Grace was fizzling out. Did you do the STP one? Right. What? Did you do the Stone Temple Pilots audition? I did not do the Stone. Okay. Oh no! Yeah, right. I wish. Jesus, <laughs> I don't know if I could. I love that band, though, man. I don't know if I can handle that. But um, I do know most of their songs. I'm a huge Stone Temple Pilots. Me fan. too. Um, yeah. So like, I I don't know. I just I knew that I wanted to do this, and 
you know, flash forward to, you know, joining Killswitch again. Prior to that, it was like, I was bartending, but I was still on the look. Like, anything, like, I would keep my ears and eyes open. I was ready. I was like, I, w- I want to join a band. I don't give a fuck what it is. Let's just do it. Like, I had the bug again, you know? It was like the second time around where I just had this energy of, like, get me out of here. I don't want to do that. I want to get on a bus and go. So, yeah. Well, it would have had to do to maintain and pay bills, but my heart was out on the road. Well, I mean, and then things aligned, you know, because, you know, I, I, I remember because I remember you were telling me about the kill switch situation before it became like official. And you're kind of yeah, like, you know, talk- they approached me well before that. But, but, but did you have to audition? No. So they asked me to rejoin and I said, no, initially <laughs> I said, no, I said, look, I was like, I'm so into what Times of Grace is doing. That's my shit. So in my mind, it was like, if I say no to Kill Switch, Times of Grace is going to continue. That's what I was thinking in my mind, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I was like, I'm not really the end of heartache, my curse kind of guy. That's not really my bag. Like I was taking myself very seriously as an artist. <laughs> so humility, and then not so humble, because like I really was thinking Times of Grace could have been much bigger than we were. Uh, and then when all was said and done and, you know, I had to pound the pavement and get a job and become a bartender, a bar back training to be a bartender, let's be honest. Um, that's when it kind of all hit me. And that's when auditions happened. And I, the job I had turned down previously was dangled in my face, thinking to myself, if I'm not the guy, then they're going to get like a third guy to be the singer. Like, yeah. I just didn't sit right with me. And then on the day that I found out about the audition was the day that I got recognized in the bar. A fan came up to me, and Lord knows who he is to this day. And he's like, Hey, didn't you used to sing for Killswitch? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Well, what the fuck are you doing here, dude? Right. And I was like, oh. I didn't really have an answer for him. And within the hour, I got a text message from my friend being like, Yo, did you hear Killswitch are holding public auditions? And I just sat there and I'm like, do I want to continue doing this, become a bartender and, and try to start over again? Or do I want to just fucking learn a few of Howard songs, go into this audition and see if it's going to work for me? So I called Vaughn on the phone. I was like, yo, put me on the list to audition. Put me last. I'm going to go last. After all the guys try out, let me roll in at the end of the day and, and just give it a shot. And uh, I started listening to how I saw the songs that they had out for the audition, like what people had to learn. And one of the songs was Arms of Sorrow. And that was the first song I listened to where I was like, oh, word. Not only is this song dope, I love the way it's written, but the lyrics really spoke to me. It was the first Killswitch song, Howard material that just fucking hit me square in the face. And I'm like, I get this. I understand these lyrics. I've been there. I related to it so hard that I was like, okay, I can do this. If I can sing this song, what else can I sing? And then it was like, absolution. Love that song. And I just started to fall in love with some of their shit. And within a two-week time, I had eight songs ready to go. And I showed up and we did 16 songs. We hammered 16 songs after those guys had been auditioning people all day. I kept saying, are we done? You guys good? And they're like, no, keep playing. So we jammed 16 songs and we were like laughing and having fun. And it was just this feeling in the air and i remember sitting those guys down and being like yo 
if I if you guys decide you want me to come back, here's the deal. I will not fail you. I'll give you everything I got. I will not quit. I would rather die than fucking quit this band right now. I'm not going to fail you. So there you go. And uh, maybe that's what you should have called the first, that album instead of Disarm the Descent. I will not fail you. <laughs> Funny, man. I, yeah. So long story short, you know, I got the phone call the next morning from Vaughn and he's like, yo, Jesse, how you do? What are you do? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting ready for my ship. What's up? He's like, oh, you, you, you want your old job back? I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Well, it's, man, and like I said, I'm not a big fate guy. I'm not a big coincidence guy. I really, I think the world's more chaotic than not. But every now and again, you you see a story, you see a narrative. And, and you know, and I, like I said, for some reason, you and I are always like, Connected, so I feel like we always keep crossing paths, and then, God forbid, one of the last t- tours God forbid did was the first your first tour back. Uh, was yeah. that was that the first tour back with with Five Finger Death Punch? No, we did. Yeah, we did like the. I think we no, we did the festival thing in in June in Europe. Europe, okay. And then okay. our first US, U.S. tour official was with Five Finger Death Punch in U.S. Yeah. But so, and like I said, and I had seen you literally with every band you had been in. I'd seen Seamless, I'd seen Pressure Fall, I'd seen Times of Grace, and and I'd also seen your worldview evolve. I'd seen your life situation evolve. I've seen you just become the person who was that the person that rejoined the band, and and I thought you fucking you were you were so much. A better singer by the time 2012 rolls around than you were in 2003 when you quit mm. the band. That I don't think you could have been that guy. Like, no. I, like I feel like you, like you almost no, put yourself right. on this, like, like on some respect you can look at it as like a self sabotage, but on the other end, it's like, no, it's like it's I don't know, like almost like you're like almost mistakenly like i i'm not gonna do it easy i'm gonna go through the fire and (laughs) like it's like a trial like like you kind of put yourself through this 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 real kind of real world just like hey i'm just not gonna do it easy and and then by the time you got to the other end of it you seem like you're made out of granite because you've already been through the craziest shit does that make sense yeah, no, I just and I, I feel like honestly, I I I had to earn it. I had to earn it. And I you're right, if it happened any other way, I don't think I would have made it, man. I don't think I would have made it. I I wouldn't have made it physically as a singer because I was doing it wrong and mentally I uh, I I didn't have self confidence. I didn't even know who I was. I was a kid, I was like twenty three, twenty four years old. So I think that was the way it was supposed to be, you know? I had to, and that's the story of my life. <laughs> I always do it the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, like I said. Well, no I, regrets. No regrets at all. I, it's the only way it was going to happen. Uh, I and mean, you know what? I appreciate it so much more now than I would have if yeah, it was just. Of course. If I was on the trajectory of the path that we Killswitch was on, and I. I don't know if we would even have gotten as big as they did with Howard because Howard was a whole other thing. But like coming back to that situation, 
having gone through what I went through, I had, I was like a kid. I was so happy, so stoked. And I think it affected the rest of the band. These guys who had been through a bunch of stuff, saw their band fall apart again. And I think my energy rubbed off on them and that it just, we affected each other. You know, my eagerness to, to please and to go out and get this, to like grab life by the balls. And then to have these four guys just support me and have my back and show me the ropes. It was just, uh, it was a perfect combination. Yeah, I mean, is there an element, you know, it's something that I discovered because I was always in a struggling band that had some success, but there was, you know, the struggle defined a lot what was going on. And when you actually get in a successful band, things become a lot more kind of, you know, predictable, right? It's like, we do the album, and then we go on tour, and then we have another tour, yeah. and another tour, and then we come home, and then we do an album, and it's, you know, in a way like this kind of uh, monotony of, and it's and it's a result of the success, right? It's the fact that well, no, we're, the band is successful, so we know we can go on tour, and we can plan everything out, and we can, and it's all good opportunities, but it does become more of a job. Yeah. You know, just but just by its general structure and how it exists in your life, um, is that something you know that you've adapted to? Because I've felt like honestly, when the whole pandemic thing started, for me it was a bit of a relief. Where I was like, oh, I can get a little rest. Yeah, <laughs> facts, facts, dude. Crazy. It's funny because I, I was at a point I was burnt out. I was burnt out. And I remember coming home, talking to my girlfriend and being like, yo, I just want to chill. And I said it with tears in my eyes. I was like, I just want to watch like the seasons change and chill the fuck out for like a little while, just for a little while. And then this shit happened. And like, be careful you know, what you ask I, for. I know this, you know, facts, dude. <laughs> so like in, in, in one breath, I was relieved and happy and, had the circumstances been different, I think I would have enjoyed it more initially. But the whole, you know, fear and paranoia and all the things that went with this kind of skewed that view. And then the acceptance kind of hits and you're like, oh, I'm not going back on the road for a while. And then I had like a good moment of like really appreciating it and getting what I wanted. And now I'm coming out of that being like, all right, so when am I back on the road? <laughs> like, for real. Yeah. You know, but going back, I will say this. You can't help anyone who has been in a full-time touring band. You can't help but fall into that. It becomes a job. You can't help that. it. It's monotony. It's like anything, any 95 job, anything you do constantly, and you do the same thing. And that's why it's important for me to switch up the sets, yeah. to like do different things. Just anything that, that pull you outside of that that routine is so important. But all that being said, there was still a huge part of me eight years on that I still loved it. And I, I was determined to be the positive voice when everyone was bitching and complaining. As much as, yeah, I wanted to go home and chill the fuck out, I was still like, yo, this is still better than what I was doing before this. Yeah. With those four guys, they don't have that reference. Yeah. So, like, like yo, you, when's the last time you worked a real job? Last time you bartended? When's the last time you did carpentry? And those guys, they're like, eh. So I'm like, yo, at least I have that intact, regardless of what's going on. I can still, my memory banks are like fresh still. Yeah. No, but I was saying about the monotony thing. I was like, I wonder you're coming in 
how do they feel? Is it even more Groundhog Day for them because they were doing that for the eight or ten years kind of leading up to it? And it's, you know, and one thing I've kind of learned, especially when you, me, as a guy who's like filled in for other bands, and you get to kind of see the inside of bands. And it's never what you think. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, no, it's not. and you got, you know, having toured with Killswitch so many times, been friends with the guys, everything always seems very drama free from the outside looking in but obviously uh, yeah. we're not we're not there and, and and you only know what it's like on the on on the inside but it is a band where it, you, you know it does seem like like the i don't know it, there's certain bands where it's like i feel like there's a lot of rock star energy a lot of <laughs> that vibe but you guys aren't like that you guys are still carry yourself as like regular human beings and don't let the kind of bigness or the importance of the out adulation overtake kind of the, the fundamental humanity of who the people are. Um, and that's something I always kind of, you know, I, I guess almost envious of, you know, uh, because it's so difficult to be successful as successful as the, a band like that has, has been and not walk around thinking you're fucking the big dick on town, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm proud to say that between the band and the crew and management and just everything that is Killswitch Engage, there is zero. I wouldn't say zero, but there's very, very, very little of that rock star bullshit going on because the moment someone starts acting like that, somebody else is like, "Yo, knock that shit off." I and I love that. There's a very much a family vibe to this band, and no one gets too out of control. You know, yeah, even with the drinking and all, you know, like it's never, there's usually never somebody like doing something where like, oh shit, this is a problem. It's, it's very much a guys who know their limits and respect each other and the, and the crews treated as such. There's no hierarchy. It's just, it's just, it's a democracy and it's, it's, I don't know if I could do it any other way. I'm I'm glad that it's that way. You you don't have groupies on our bus. There's none of that shit. None of it. No. None of it. And we don't tolerate it. So when you're around us on tour, if you come on our bus, if you come on our bus, you're family. If you're not, you you're not welcome. Like we've had moments where people come on the bus and we kind of all can like sense like nah, get them off the bus. Like I love that. I don't think I could tour any other way. I wouldn't be comfortable with it. And um I'm proud of that about us. We're very much a family oriented band of brothers that wants everybody in our crew and in our band to be comfortable. And it's mostly just sports, movies, beer, bad eighties music and jokes. Like that's kind of what we do. And I kind of love that shit, man. I love that. That's who we are. There's no bullshit. So you've done three albums since you've been back. Is there a moment or an album in that that you feel like, is a peak or something that you you like the most? Do you feel like Atonement, the most recent one, is like best represents where you're at? Yeah, I think Atonement's the one for sure. And I feel like had we been on the road through this whole album cycle, I think it really would have <clears throat> honed us into, I feel like, a push for the next level of who we would become as a band. I love that record. I think it's our best work since my return people would argue that and say disarm a lot of people would say disarm is the one but 
I love that. Record. You guys are so and consistent. Also, it's tough, man. Like literally, like the band is so. It's just like it's always good. Like you know, it's like a band. Like I could, buy, I buy the records before I hear. Like I might hear a song, but it's like I'm always gonna buy a Killswitch record because I know the level of craftsmanship is always going to be there. And you're, and it's a, it's a band where. It's, like I said, in some respects, I wish the band was more experimental because I know how diverse. No, we- I do too. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I do too. I wish we would push. And there's kind of a part of me that wants to be a little more experimental. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's what everyone's comfortable with. But I know that I'm the first moment I get to sort of explore something experimental that I hear, I'm going to do it. But I don't write the music, so it's up to those guys, kind of, you know. Where I feel like some of our better songs are the ones that are a bit different. Yeah. You know, on, on, on Incarnate, um, uh, It Falls on Me. I love that song. It was, to me, an, an opportunity for us to push a little in the other direction. But we never played it live, and everyone was like, meh, that song's okay. And I'm like, no! Like, it's our opportunity to, like, push in a different direction. But Killswitch is kind of like that. Do, do you think the band yeah. is collectively happy where it's at like in terms of size and ambition because the band does very well you know globally you know the band there's a little bit of comfort there that i don't think is healthy that's just my personal opinion (laughs) Uh, i'm always pushing i'm always pushing 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 let's do something different let's do something out of bounds let's do something this and there's the general idea of like well that's a nice idea kind of but no this is kind of who we are yeah well, it's, but, it's, it's but tough. I'm not going to stop doing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm like the little brother in the band. They, they're always like, yeah, yeah, new guy. Jason Newstead, calm down. I'm like, no, we got to push. We got to do that. Like, come on, guys. Let's do something different. Yeah. So that I'm, spirit of me is still very much alive, but the four of them collectively sort of like, well, we're kind of more of this kind of a band. Yeah, listen. I Listen, I think it, I kind of understand and um can identify with all those different types of mentalities because at the heart of it i think i'm more like you or i'm general like my the this the same records that got me into music are still kind of in my mind and heart whether it's metallica black album or guns and roses use your illusion or allison chain's dirt it's these like massive classic universal albums right like where these are the biggest bands and the big and so you know i've i always kind of want to be in that vibe but you know but seeing kind of you know with battles who is super heavy but then has this whole like radio crossover thing you know it is like an idea like an idea where you're established where you're where you're worried if we do this will this dilute kind of who we are am i sacrifice you know and i and i and i i totally get that and i'm in some respects i have so much respect for the idea of someone says well i know who i am and this is my lane and and this is what i want to do because me i'm i'm like one of the most you know indecisive motherfuckers of all time <laughs> so anyone that's very decisive i admire them <laughs> but uh but 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 no what i'm saying is i i identify with all those aspects because I just think it's hard, right? Because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? If you go yeah, too experimental, yeah. that you know, you go, you know, you do like Metallica and you do a load or a Saint Anger and everyone's pissed off. If you do a very similar style like ACDC or Slayer or Motorhead, people will complain too that you don't change enough, right? So it's all, you know, co- you know, collectively everyone has to decide what 
works for, the, for yeah, those Yeah, I think units. you have to follow your heart and your gut. And, like, I'll always be pushing to do something different. But um, <clears throat> I have to operate within the collective, you know, and I have to. And I want to respect the idea of what the band is. And I want the four other guys to be stoked with what I'm doing. When we initially started making Atonement, I did a lot more melody. I yeah. wanted to do more melodic stuff. And it just got to a point where it was like, well, you know, like we're kind of good at what we do, so why are you fucking with it? No, I like so I, I noticed that. that I wrote turned into screen parts. And I like how it turned out, but there's still a part of me that wishes that some of those melodic ideas would have been cool. Yeah. So moving forward, I'm still going to keep pushing to do different things. And it, it, it's not for the sake of success. It's for the sake of just challenging myself and wanting to create something fresh. And if people like it or they don't, like you said, damned if you do, damn you don't. I don't care. I want to challenge myself. And especially now with my new pipes after my surgery, like I can sing a lot better than <laughs> I can do shit that I never could do before. I have vibrato. I have these things that I've never had and I want to use them. So I'm going to be pushing to like do more experimental stuff, but we'll see if it uh, makes the final cut. I don't know. When did you get surgery? Uh, what was that? 2000 shit. Six. I don't remember three years ago. <laughs> what was the exact procedure? What was wrong? So I had uh well, initially it was one polyp. And then when they went in to do the surgery, they found another one behind it. So it was two polyps. And the one that was behind it, the second one had tons of scar tissue on it. So it's been there for years. So essentially since my return to kill switch, I've been singing on a broken instrument. Jesus. So I, I have not had a proper voice since 2012 so i've been killing myself essentially since 2012 and they had to thankfully it wasn't so bad where you know i wasn't done because when i went into that surgery the doctor said i can't guarantee you you'll be able to do what you do after the surgery this damage is bad wow he's like the way your the way your vocal folds look right now look to me like you have the skin of an 80 year old, like the scar tissue and the he's like the wrinkles, like you look, it's so damaged Wow. that I, I don't, I can't tell you with a clear mind that you're going to be okay. So when I went into that surgery after three months of not talking and like resting and wondering what's going to go on with my career, I came out of that surgery, not knowing if I would have a, a voice to sing or scream or anything. And uh, thankfully after training with Melissa, cross who was there from day one of the surgery all through my recovery up until i got on the plane to go tour with iron maiden first show back opening for iron maiden after my surgery and uh yeah i was doing shit with my voice i never knew i could do and i came off that stage with tears in my eyes like holy shit i'm still going and i feel and sound better than i ever have before so that was huge. by the way how was that because i know that they, i heard they're a kind of tough band open for we did okay, man. Yeah. You know, like the audience, they're there to see Iron Maiden. But um, at the end of the day, the metalheads. So I think what got them first was the riffs. Yeah. And then, you know, our energy on stage is fun and we're having fun. We're not there to sort of check us out. We're tough metal guys. We're there like we love metal. We're having a, the vibe of Kill Switch, I think, is infectious if you're just there to have a good time and then we closed with holy dive every night who doesn't fucking love dio and if you're going to iron maiden show 
So I I feel like ninety five percent of the time we won the audience over. Was but it stadiums? There were those nights. There were those nights where you're coming out and the people are just you know arms folded with their maiden hat and their maiden shirt and their maiden handkerchief, and they're just like, "Who the fuck are you? We don't care." <laughs> and a couple songs in, they're nodding their head and they're smiling at Adam's jokes and we're making eye contact and like sort of reassuring the audience like we're okay we're chilling if you like us or not that's cool but like maybe you should have a good time and i feel like that energy won people over we didn't get booed ever um and it also helped that maiden and their crew are so welcoming are so genuinely nice people we just felt like we belonged there so the vibe backstage throughout that whole entire tour was we we felt welcome so I think that carried on the stage as well. And that's high praise and kudos to Iron Maiden, who I believe are one of the best in the entire business to do it. And uh, I've always liked them, but I have so much respect for them after touring with them because they are, they operate. I feel like any band that thinks they're half as good or has half the amount of success as they do, they could still learn a thing or two from these guys. They're incredible. Uh, from top to bottom, performance to like how they treat people and just that great fucking band and i think it's a huge part of why we were able to do well on those tours and what a hell of a tour to come back from a vocal surgery to do was that one so was yeah. it stadiums oh yeah we we played in front of like there were nights in sweden i want to say it was like forty thousand, forty-five thousand people a night two nights in a row sold out like they were huge <laughs> crazy shit yeah I think the smallest show was probably like 11,000 people. <laughs> but um, playing in these epic places and just, you know, an airport. We played in an airport. I don't know. Just like a huge landing strip. And while fucking Maiden's playing, airplanes are doing tricks over the stage. Like just insane shit that I've never seen in my life. It's a, it's a tour I, will, I won't ever forget. Yeah, you, you got to have those moments... You know, and I've had a few of those recently where you're just like, you know, I got to tour with Megadeth for the first time ever, you know, the last tour we did. And, you know, and I, I watch them every night. And I just, just because I always feel like this industry is unpredictable and I feel like every day I do it could be the last day. Um, yes. And I always. And I, now, right? Yeah, I just never I just try and never take it for granted and, and, and always take time to smell the roses and just appreciate it and say, you know what, this may not last, so just enjoy it and 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 and, and be there. So I think I think that's amazing, and I'm you know I'm so happy for you and and proud of everything you've you've done. And like I said, I I've been with you, but I've been with you, you know, on this journey. You know what I'm saying? Like I I feel like I you know I've I've just been there for every you know, and, I, and that's the beauty of kind of just being in New York, New Jersey, and we being in the same area and being able to kind of share experiences together. Um, and it's amazing, and we, you know, you have one other band that we didn't get to talk about, The Weapon, which just released uh, yeah, an album, man. which is very different than anything I've heard you do, which is just straight punk rock, angry, messy, noisy, pissed yeah. off. <laughs> and uh, it's the roots of everything. That's where I come from. The first music that I ever fell in love with was that kind of music, and I think lyrically, I'm able to speak my mind on a political social level that i have never been able to because it's completely uncensored it's not like i'm <clears throat> thinking of the larger picture or or <clears throat> filtering it through four other dudes who are established and want things to be a certain way it was you know three other guys who have my back and are very much the same mindset that i am and 
And we all agreed, like, we want this to be a punch-you-in-the-face anarchist punk rock record. And that's exactly what it is. And it was written that way. It was recorded that way. It's the most fun I've had recording a record ever. Because <laughs> it happened within a couple days. It was like three takes and done. Adam's not yelling at you. Times <laughs> and then listen to it and be like, good, 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 done. Done. I love that record. And I can't wait to do more of those guys. Do you think... Uh... If all this stuff wasn't going on, were you going to be able to do some shows here and there? Yeah, we were definitely planning on doing stuff in New York City and like, yeah, little little things here and there in between Killswitch Touring. Because Josh, who's the bass player, mm-hmm. is the stage manager, production manager for Killswitch. So like his tour schedule is the same as mine. Yeah, We're inseparable. And he's like, he's become a dear friend of mine. And when I'm on tour, like it, he, if there's a day off, like he, he hits me up. I hit him up. Like we love each other. We hang out. He's the best. That's my homeboy. And then Chris, I've known from That Will Be Done, and he played in a band called Aggressive Dogs. So he's a punk rock dude as well as a metal dude. And then our drummer Andy's like an old school punk rocker from New York City for like 20 years. And we all kind of have the same mindset, you know, like compassionate dudes, very woke and aware of what's going on, wanting to make a difference uh, and, and very outspoken with how we feel about stuff. And we just kind of wanted to put out a album that spoke about a revolutionary way of life and like no half stepping with this shit you know? like zero <laughs> tolerance for racism zero tolerance for all the bullshit that's going on in this country and and i think we just spelled it out in that record and i love it i stand by it 100 percent. it speaks i think on a political sort of like everyday level like if you were to meet and talk to me if you listen to that record that speaks a lot to my character who i am how i care myself and how i see the world the it's a lot less spiritual. There's really not much of a spirituality thing going on there. That's more of a kill switch vibe. But I love it because it just it. And I even dropped the f bomb on that record. And I never ever ever wrote any cuss words on any record ever. And I think I dropped it like three or four times on this record. And it's perfect. I love it. So, <laughs> I mean, I I think I think that's amazing, man. That you're um, you know, you you have so many different facets to what you do creatively and. I mean, it must be kind of cool, too, because you are socially aware and have, um, you know, messages you want to get out there politically and spiritually. Now, probably because you're back in Kills, would you have a bigger platform now than you you would have had uh, 10 years ago? And I'm sure that has a certain gratification that comes with it as well. Yeah, I know my messages. I mean, and and don't get me wrong, like not everyone gives a fuck about the weapon at all, but... um... You're right. Without the whole kill switch thing attached to it, we wouldn't have half the audience we have. And you know, the kill switch audience is not just one type of person. So um, there's definitely been backlash from those people who, um, you know, see the world differently than I do, and you know, are the people who are there to hear the hits. And you know <laughs> that. Uh, then you got the underground hardcore people and the people who are diehards. So to me, it's just nice to write a record without thinking about any of that bullshit not worrying about who's going to accept it and just putting my heart and soul and it's full of piss and vinegar. And I think it's easily the most pissed off performance I've ever put out there. And I love it. I can't wait to do more with that shit, man. Right on. Well, you know, I, you know, the good fortune to do, we did a show last summer. I want to say we did like rock USA or one of those things in, in uh, Wisconsin and you guys are fucking amazing. And uh, you know, hopefully, all this stuff will 
unfurl at some point and we can start doing some shows and hanging out and and seeing each other it better again. i'm gonna lose my goddamn mind <laughs> but you know because we all got you know we put a record out kind of the same time you guys put your record out so we've all you know luckily we got to do a few tours and kind of promote it a, a, a little bit but um listen man this has been a long time coming I'm, I'm really glad we got to cover basically your whole everything you've done um you know this is the kind of show you know that this show exists for you know this this episode is what this show exists for is to really connect the dots on my entire time in in this business and and people like you who just created this entire body of work and you've affected so many people you know um and i'm just i mean i'm I'm proud to call you a friend and i'm I'm really glad you could share your story on the show oh likewise brother thank you so much man definitely brother all right man i'm gonna take off but you have a good one all right thank you so much all right all right, Doc. Much love to you, brother. Much love. Peace. Amen. So that was Jesse's band, The Weapon, going full hardcore punk. That song was called, what's that song? Oh, Pink Tax. And the name of the album, which I love, is A Repugnant Turn of Events. How true. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty spot on. That was fun. Love Jesse. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview, man. That was a, you know, with him, man, it always gets gets pretty deep. He's a, he's an open book. Uh, he's such a vulnerable individual, and I a lot of stuff I didn't know, you know, about you know just his entire journey in terms of coming together in the underground, and you know, you know he's man, he he's he just ugh, I'm 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 at a loss for words. Apparently, apparently, I'm supposed to be a talker. That's why I have a fucking podcast, but they're not coming out right now. 
Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. Check out the weapon. Buy that record. I just went on the Bandcamp and bought it right now. Just cause to support the scene, y'all. All right. Going on a trip tomorrow. You know, wish me well. Going to Nashville. Check out some stuff. Uh, gonna try and be safe. I heard a lot of things are open, so you know, I don't know who's being safe. I I don't know what's going on out there, guys. I, I've had you know the whole Rona thing is it's so like team oriented. It's just so strange to me. You know, team mask, team no mask. It's like, yo, man, walking. Shit didn't used to be like this. We just, we just got on board with some shit. You know, I don't know. I, I just, I just don't get it. I, but you know, but I do think everyone, everyone's kind of fucked up. You know, I do think, you know, like a lot of people are leaving California. They're like, because they, you know, they shut a lot of businesses down. And I, and I said, sit on here. Not one damn business should go out of business. Because of the this damn disease. Like, you can't tell people to shut their doors and then don't give them money. You can't go to work, but I'm not going to give you no money. That doesn't make no sense. So, I, I think it's the situation where everyone's kind of blown it. You know, we've blown it in every, uh, we just passed, or I think we're about to pass 200,000 deaths. You know, if you believe that, which is like, you know, motherfuckers just love to just pick the, the facts they... <laughs> that support what they already believe like i don't believe that i'm like what do you believe uh the ones that support the way i already thought when i started this oh how convenient how that works out for you how the facts always seem to align (laughs) you already thought that's not how supposed to work guys you're supposed to like uh look at the world think things about things then you hear the facts and sometimes the facts contradict how you think and then you don't do instead of molding the facts to fit how you think then you should change how you think that's how it works all right revelations not in the bible i'm talking about literal revelations like oh oh that's that's what it is i thought it was this and it turns out it was that that's okay it's okay to be wrong on shit and then adjust the way you see the world based on the new facts and guess what facts we learn new shit all the time it's like oh we thought this and then we, we, we learn this and it's okay. It's okay. You know, but it's a tough time. But I, I said, I empathize with everyone, you know, except for the people being assholes going out coughing on people and those, those dicks, but a lot of people dead and people, are, well, those numbers aren't real. Actually, no, there's a New York times article. I know, you know it's the liberal New York times. So you, like I said, just pick the sheet and believe, but I think they're reputable. You know, they did a study basically, you know, they know basically every year how many people die. You know, they're like, oh, this people, these many people pretty much die every year. And more, this is a couple months ago or a month ago, more than 200,000 extra people have died this year. What is the accident? A lot of motherfuckers slipping on banana peels. <laughs> well, we had a, we had a, we had a really bad uh, coughing season. Yes. Uh, Uncle, Uncle Todd coughed to death. Coronavirus, no, no. Pre-existing conditions. Turned out he was overweight. Coughed himself to death. Wow. Died on the ventilator, you know. Had a real bad cold. You motherfuckers were ridiculous. Elon Musk was on on, uh, Joe Rogan talking about this dumb shit. Can't believe it. All right, this is a long-ass podcast, so if you made it this far, like I said, I need, like, if I could prove somehow that someone's listening this long, there should be some kind of prize I send you in the mail or, like, shout-out. I don't know how to prove that, but one day we'll see. Anyway, I'm 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 out of things to say. I I could ramble on all night, but who cares and who would listen? I love you guys. Stay close to each other. 
support each other, stay positive. It's rough times. It's going to be a long rest of the year, but we're going to get through it. If we survive, and I'm, I'm definitely going to get I Survive 2020 t-shirt when it's time, if I actually make it through. I'm going to cross my fingers and my toes. Stay up, players and pimpins. Mamba out. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.